Hey, podcast peoples, The Ringer's Shack House, brought to you by Callaway, is the golf podcast you never knew you needed in your life. Join Jeff Shackelford and me, Joe House, as we break down the golf stories everyone's talking about, interview some of the biggest personalities in the game, and even help you allocate a little capital around some major tournaments. Friends, make sure to subscribe to Shack House wherever you get your podcasts. Oh yeah, food pals, we have done it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to House of Cards. A food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people. My friends, I am honored. I am humbled and I am hungry. I am your host, Joe House. Today's debut episode of House of Carbs. We're joined by my friend, editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit magazine, food raconteur Adam Rappaport to talk about summer grilling. We have the ringers, Juliet Littman on to walk us through this week's eyebrow-raising stories in food. And I'm very happy to have Danny Chow, the Ringer's own NBA and food expert, on to talk about his journey to Nashville, Tennessee last summer to explore hot chicken. Before we jump into the show, friends, a little bit about what we're going to be shooting for this year. Interviews, of course, with people of interest in all walks of food life. We'll have chefs, food writers, food reviewers, Honestly, anyone else we stumble across with a passion for food that rivals our own, we're definitely going to be doing a weekly hit with the incomparable Juliet Littman to talk about the ridiculous, the fantastic, everything in between in the world of food. A recurring visit from the Ringer Friends and Family Universe. Lots of food takes there. There shall be recommendations. There shall be tastings. And we shall try and make it as delicious as possible. A quick shout out to the, the good friend of House of Carbs, the podfather himself, Bill Simmons, and everyone at The Ringer for this delicious idea and entrusting its well-being to our palate. Also, big thanks to all of you for finding your way here. The podcast was just announced last week. So much love for the name, the design, and many, many outstanding suggestions for topics and guests. Let's keep up the belly sourcing, my friends. You can always hit me directly on the Twitter and on the Instagram, at HouseFromDC. You can also check out the podcast page on rigor.com. Hit us there. My friends, we're very excited. Let's dive in to this week's show. All right, podcast pals. We have an unbelievable first guest, first guest ever on the House of Carbs, my man, Adam Rappaport, editor-in-chief of Bone Appetit since 2011. Prior to that, the style editor of GQ. Prior to that, the restaurant editor of Time Out New York and junior editor, the James Beard Foundation. Rap is from the District of Columbia. We have that in common. He played basketball at Wilson High School, very close to my house. And Rap, your, your Twitter handle and your Instagram, at Rappo4, tell me, is, was four 
the number on the back of your basketball jersey? Did I tell you that, or you, did you just guess that? Dude, I mean, you know, we, we have research. We, do, we, we, we run it down <laughs> over here on the House of Carbs. If there was a photo of the team playing, you would see me on the bench with my back, and you would see the number four on my back with the front row view of, of most of the games with the Wilson Tigers. So that's, so that's hot, right? So the other thing we have to mention, speaking of the Wilson Tigers, Rap's resume includes a guitarist for a great and underrated 80s punk rock band here in Washington, D.C., The Tigers. Um, and that's part of the background. Rap and I have, have walked, uh, we, we didn't know this until we met a year ago, but we've walked, we've traveled many of the same uh, steps here in the, in the District of Columbia. So look, Rap, almost a year ago to the day, you had me on as a guest on the Bon Appetit Foodcast that, that you host. And I know your audience was like, who in the hell is this guy? I was like, who is this guy? Because I had never met you before. I'd only heard you on the Simmons podcast. And then as I told you that time, you were talking about roasting a chicken at 11.30 p.m. to watch a, a West Coast feed of a Warriors game. I was like, oh, well, I have to meet this fellow who roasts a chicken for himself on a Wednesday night while watching basketball. Like, screw the wife and kid. I'm just going to eat this chicken that's supposed to be for tomorrow's dinner for myself while watching a midnight basketball game. That's all true. And look. Here we are a year later, the first ever guest on the House of Carbs. I mean, it was meant to be. It was clearly meant to be, my man. Fate, fate. Yeah, so, so what, what are we talking about today? Well, look, in the very first place, you, uh, as the steward of the Bon Appetit operation and keenly attuned to the tastes of all demographics, but one demographic in particular, uh, the millennials, you guys have have been very aggressive on social media, um, both on the on the BA platform, but also you yourself. Your Instagram is replete with delicious food. Um, and I saw last week uh, on comedy on the Comedy Channel, one of those programs, they had they did this thing hashtag Millennial Food. Uh, now it was a joke, and there were some funny ones. I liked very much uh, Netflix and Chili. I enjoyed uh, Tinder Tots, uh, and there was one here that, I, that I, I liked very much. Oh, yeah, Entitlement Chocolate Chip Ice Cream. Entitlement <laughs> Chocolate Chip. Uh, anyway, so a bunch of puns on millennial food, but it got me to thinking, and I knew you were the, guy, the right guy to ask this question, what do millennials eat? All right, I'm going to start off by being complimentary, if, if that's okay, because <laughs> I could easily go down a different road about millennials. Um, but I think what's fascinating about millennials, and we're talking about people in that sort of 21 to 36 age, I believe that's the window of a millennial. Uh, unlike us, House, who are both, what, 47 or so? Um, you know, we're we're closer to 50 than with, 40, yeah. Well, yeah, let's, let's, we don't need to go there. Um, but you know, you're talking about people who, who grew up with sriracha more than ketchup. You're, you're talking about people, you and I thought ramen was like this brick of dried noodles you add a seasoning pack to when we were in college. Millennials, like, know, like, the best ramen joint within a mile of them. Um, for them, like, Korean barbecue is as, quote-unquote, American and commonplace as, like, traditional barbecue. So it's fascinating that the breadth of cuisines that these kids have grown up with and the access to ingredients uh, to cook these cuisines, if they so desire, uh, is spectacular. And, and you know, so I, I think I'm, I'm envious of them. You know, I don't think I ate a vegetable until I got to college. I mean, that's, and that's not an exaggeration. It is, I'm not counting it is interesting. As a, as a vegetable. Sure. So, like, it has been basically just one generation 
which is between us uh, us and and that demo 21 to 36 like when we grew up with fast food the options were just things like hamburger from McDonald's roast beef from Roy Rogers fried chicken from churches or Popeyes came in a little bit later um you know, we, we had pizza from, from Geno's. But even Popeye's, when Popeye's came to D.C., that was like a major thing. You're like, holy crap, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. I've heard of this Popeye's place. And that was like, I don't know, there's that one up in, near Tenley Circle near Wilson High, like in 85 or something. And that was like, that was a thing. A real revelation. But the thing that's like has changed over, over just one generation now is the ability to, if you're so inclined, get fast healthy food like you can go to chipotle and be in and out of that joint if the line's not too long in six or seven minutes and have something that's basically like ingredients that that uh arrived fairly recent from from you know when the food was made and they're cooking the chicken right there in front of you and they're cooking the steak right there in front of you and you can walk out of there with something if you're so inclined you know relatively healthy um what, what do you think about that yeah, I mean, you can go for the bowl instead of the burrito. Uh, I, I do think that that is it's where we're at now, and it's where we're heading. If you look at chains like Chopped uh, or Sweetgreen, uh, Sweetgreen's a little bit more of a hipster sort of stylized version of Chopped, one of these sort of build-your-own-salad places. Um, uh, that is, yeah, it's it, it's good. It, it's you get to design your meal. You're in and out quickly. Uh, and if you look at what's happening, especially in the Bay Area right now, there's a lot of these sort of fine casual concepts, as they call them. There's a Greek one called souvla that a lot of the sort of um, you know uh, Silicon Valley money is investing in now. That that's how people are going to want to eat. They want to be able to walk in, not have to worry about reservations, but still get good food. A lot of these new places in the Bay Area are also serving wine or beer with the with the meal. Uh, and it's kind of a you know a stylish setting, but like I said, it, it doesn't have to be this two-hour commitment to the evening. It, you know, you don't have to call you know two weeks ahead. And if you live in New York City, like having to get like, oh yeah, we have not 5:30 or 10:30 available, and you're like, screw you, dude, I just want to come have dinner, and I literally have to call a month in advance to get a table. And you know, like I, I get it. It's like, all right, come on in, have some good food. It won't cost you a hundred dollars, and you don't have to make a reservation. So I'm 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 all I'm all for that. You and me both. I mean, that's, this is the thing. Uh, you, you started off by being complimentary, and I'm in the same boat, obviously. Now, uh, as, it come, as it relates to millennials, what their generation has ushered in, the changing in palates and tastes and what folks uh, find interesting. And, and a lot of it, you know, I think our generation should get a little credit. We did sort of uncover how unhealthy certain things could be. Um, you know, the, the, the expose on, on trans fat at McDonald's, uh, not to, to, you know, take a shot at anybody, but you know, that was kind of our, our folks, that poor guy, what's his name? Um, who did the expose, who ate McDonald's every day for a month. Oh, uh, supersize me. Yeah. Supersize me. And I think, yeah. and I think it's interesting. Like if, if supersize me, you know, first of all, I grew up, you know, I went to McDonald's three times a week growing up. I mean, every Friday night, my mom would give my brother and me a $20 bill. We'd walk up to Mazda Gallery on Jennifer Street. We'd have that. Twice, two other days a week, I'd go to, like, the arcade, and at 3.30, I'd have a McDonald's meal before I came home for my dinner at 6.30. Um, but, you know, after seeing that film, you're like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. And I, would, I firmly believe that Shake Shack wouldn't exist now if it weren't for Super Size Me, that there, that there was that opening for a place like Shake Shack that could do 
I'm not going to use the word healthy because there's nothing healthy about Shake Shack. If you look at the calorie counts, and it's still a ton of cheese and meat and potatoes and all that. Yeah, but the it's, sodium, you know, the salt. Organically, yeah. you know, it's better. It's better ingredients, more humane, all that sort of stuff. And you know, like I said people want to eat indulgently, but I think we're a little bit more conscious now and, and, and knowledgeable about what we're eating. So that's why you have places like Shake Shack, which I, you know, I'm all for. I think that's awesome. Also, yeah, you and me both. I'm I'm right there with you. Now look. We're approaching um, my very favorite time of the year to eat because it's just flat out grill season. And uh, I have to give you a little pat on the back. Your Instagram, uh, you, it was such a good post of, of this ribeye that you had to run it twice. I mean, Ooh. congratulations. <laughs> it was a spectacular ribeye. All, cooked over charcoal, by the way. I mean, you know, let's be, be clear about it. But it's a great time of season for food. So we're going to talk about a couple of different recipes. Walk me through uh, we, a recipe. Can we in talk ribeye? Can we talk ribeye for a talk second? Let's talk ribeye. Let's eight. talk ribeye. Yeah. All right. If you're going to grill a steak, if you're going to spend money on a dry-aged steak, buy a ribeye. The most flavorful cut you can buy, period. It's not cheap, but I always think something that's – this is one of those cases where it's worth it. And the steak, a good ribeye should be so well marbled that it's rich enough that you can easily split it with another person. Uh, I think you want about an inch and a half thick, bone in or bone out, that's up to you. And maybe I'm old school, but you got to have charcoal. Unless you have a $4,000 gas grill, the gas grills are never hot enough. They just don't get that super crunchy sear. And if you want proof of the charcoal one, go to my Instagram account at Rapo4, R-A-P-O, numeral four. As you said, I did the slice version, then a week later, I shot the outside of it, because I was like, God damn, that looks good. So I'm all about the charcoal. That's what the I only said. thing, and I will stop yapping shortly, is if you have a ribeye and there's so much fat dripping from it, you gotta have a cool side of a grill and like the more hot side of the grill where the coals are banked up, because you're gonna get flare-ups, so you gotta be constantly moving that steak around the grill. It's like a dance, and, and then you gotta put it, prop it on its side to get the fat crispy on the side, then you flip it over, then you flip it back over, and and then you just kind of use the force to know when it's done. Yeah. So look, I'm going to. I know we're going to move on to some recipes, but I have a. I have to quickly follow this up. Uh, I, I I thoroughly subscribe to everything you just described there. Tell me what you do with your hands because with those flare ups, you can't just have your hands there on the on the end of the tongs. Do you wear the gloves? Do you wear a glove? You know, it's a fair question, and that gets to the charcoal thing. I had a debate with Sam Sifton, the New York Times food editor, about this, and he actually convinced me uh, that I was wrong. Um, I used to be a big proponent of lump hardwood charcoal, those big shards of, like, real pieces of wood, charcoalized wood. Yeah. The problem with those are they get so intensely hot, and they burn so fast that it's just it's, it's, it's too much. And I've tried to shoot videos of that, and I'm sweating, and my hands are seared. So I use now just traditional charcoal briquettes, not the lighter fluid kind, but traditional ones, started with a charcoal chimney. And you shouldn't, Joe, you, you're probably putting the steak on before you should. It, it should be a oh. glowing orange. It should not be flaming. So it should be really hot, but not so hot that you can't get near it. And you should have long enough tongs that you can move it around. All that said, okay. I am not against uh, wearing, you know, wearing the glove if you have to. That, 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 that's thoroughly okay. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I have the glove, and I have tongs that are, are reasonable length, but, you know, I just need a little bit of that insider scoop. So speaking of insider scoop, give me a recipe that's in the current July BA issue that um, the people, that the House of Carbs listening audience would like to jump into. 
All right, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm actually going to go the August issue because we just shipped it, and it's fresh in my mind, and it's the simple issue. Every recipe, five ingredients or less. Um, can we talk about a caprese salad? Oh, of course we can. I love the caprese. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, you go to restaurants, and they most of the time, they always screw it up. Like, these, like, slabs of domestic mozzarella with a big slab of, like, an underripe beefsteak tomato, and then someone's always drizzling balsamic vinegar all over it. And it's like, dude, stop. So, first thing, buy, it's again, worth it. Buy the ball of imported buffalo mozzarella, and it's going to be like 12 bucks. And you're like, that's insane. I'm paying $12 for mozzarella. And like, yes, you are paying $12 for mozzarella because it's so freaking good. And you buy that, and you want to let it come to room temperature. You don't want cold cheese. You want, like, room temp cheese. And then you tear it up into shreds with your hands. Then oh. you take your room temperature tomatoes. Yeah, you, you don't want like you don't want nicely slices. This should be Perfect like hockey ovals, right? At this point, so torn mozzarella on a platter. Then you slice up your like beautiful heirloom tomatoes or the little like sun golds or cherry tomatoes. It's nice to have a mix of red and yellow and stuff and green even. You sort of layer those on there in the little nooks between the torn mozzarella, and then. A lot of salt, more salt than you probably think, and you can use like fancy Malden flaky salt if you want, or just kosher salt, mm. and then mm. a shit ton, if I can say that, of good olive oil, and then finally some torn up uh-huh. uh, basil. And now the important thing, let it sit for like a half hour, and that's where all the that the milkiness and the mozzarella starts to mingle with the little oil droplets, and it all just sort of comes together, and then you will literally be like picking your plate up and slurping all that like. That, that juicy goodness from the plate. Yeah, and then and the tomatoes themselves. So I love a caprese, and then also the version of that, which I also do sometimes, and, and I think the important thing with cooking is you have to think about what each ingredient represents in a dish, like whether this is the sweet component or the acidic component or yada yada. Sometimes we'll substitute really in-season ripe, jammy figs for the tomatoes. So you slice up figs, throw those in with the mozzarella and the olive oil and the salt, and then sometimes I'll use fresh mint instead of basil, and so you have a fig caprese salad, and that will that will blow your mind. I'm, I've never heard of such a thing. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of speechless, to be honest with you. I mean, wh- when is that in season? Is that in season now? Figs are, I mean, it depends where you get them from. Not, not quite yet, I would say in a little while. You know what's also really good? I just did this the other night. I did a peach caprese salad. Because, you know, tomatoes are a fruit. That's what they keep telling us, literally. So you do a peach instead of tomatoes. You do sliced peaches and mint or basil with the, that. And that's like, especially if you're down in Georgia and you get good peaches, that's so good. So, yeah, lots of little well, ways that pe- to the peach makes a ton of sense to me. Know. But the key here is good ingredients. It's like the best cheese you can buy, the best tomatoes or or. or peaches or figs and then good olive oil and like i said that's like simple food is never simple it's, it's like you got to do it right you got to get the good ingredients and then don't mess with it much all right rap uh unbelievable the caprese the fig caprese the peach caprese your traditional caprese i don't know what else i mean it seems like if we're going to go in that acidic fruit direction there's all kinds of different options available i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna brainstorm that a little bit i might belly source it a little bit um i appreciate very much you jumping on here today uh here's my last question for you for today this is uh something we're gonna ask all the guests last meal on earth what do you got Okay, I'm going to go with a lot of what I've already spoken about. Uh, as people know me, <laughs> I'm, I'm a man of habit. But to start off, I know this is kind of like a this is like what the healthy people who like to drink drink, but a vodka soda 
but it's got to be good. Like again, like a good vodka, like a kettle one. And I insist on the little eight ounce bottles of like Canada Dry because I want my club soda super crisp. And like, if when I see a bartender use like one of those big bottles that's been half open for a half a day, I'm like, no. I want a freshly open, cracked open, crisp bottle with good ice cubes, lemon wedge, and you gotta get that balance right. I would probably say it's half vodka to half club soda. Also, it's that thing like when you think about when your doctor asks you how many drinks you have a day, and you're like, I don't know, one or two, and then you pour yourself a drink, and you realize like your one drink probably equals three drinks. So that's a whole other story. So, a couple of vodka sodas, uh, dry aged ribeye on the grill sliced over arugula with some lemon wedges, maybe a little olive oil drizzled on there. Uh, roast potatoes, skin off, kind of as they do in Italy, cut into cubes um, with some like whole garlic cloves and rosemary on the pan. And so each side of the potato gets super crispy. It's like a super crispy cube, um, little sea salt. And then, I mean, kind of that's it. I don't even need dessert. Like I'm not a big dessert guy. If you give me enough carbs, speaking of carbs, you give me enough potatoes and steak, like, I am fine. Maybe a glass of rosé. Can I do a couple glasses of rosé with the meal? And we're eating outside. Is that all right? Uh, all of it. It's your meal. Now, look, one thing. I feel like you might have let me down a little bit. That sounds so goddamn Uh-oh. delicious. And I'm starving right now. One pro tip you could have shared with me before you get going with a food podcast, you got to have some lunch. I mean, I think I've learned an important lesson oh, today. Oh, I, I was going to say that. Why am I so much? I'm much more hungrier now than I've ever done the Bon Appetit foodcast. I also feel like I'm yelling more <laughs> than on the Bon Appetit foodcast. You got me very riled up. Well, that's uh, my thing. I, yeah, I, can, I'm well, a yeller, you, too. No, but you, I would say this. I would say this. You don't want to have lunch before the podcast because then you'll be like, yeah, I ate this or whatever. Like, you want to be starving going into the podcast. That's a good lesson. We both learned that. Well, right mission now. accomplished. Because I'm, I'm effing starving between the, the ribeye and the peach caprese <laughs> and a couple nice glasses of rosé. How about it? Let's do it to it. Adam Rappaport, you are the man. We're going to definitely have you on multiple times on the House of Carbs. And uh, we really appreciate the time today. Congratulations as being the very first guest on this, this food podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure, Joe. Thank you very much. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. All right, before we jump into this next delicious dialogue, we have to do a little background here. Back in the days of Grantland, R.I.P. Grantland, Juliet Littman and David Jacoby hosted a, a podcast called Food News. And for those of you not familiar, each week they would run through mostly ridiculous and oftentimes bizarre food-related stories uh, that, that they would dig up. Uh, here on House of Carbs, we're going to run it back. We're going to have Juliet be our guiding light for all that is developing on the food scene. It's now my pleasure to introduce the managing editor at The Ringer, host of the Bachelor Party and Jam Session podcast, the one, the only, Miss Juliet Littman. Hi, thanks for having me. Woo! How about it? Look, Juliet. I have to tell you, in my negotiations with the with the Ringer Brass over this food podcast, I didn't ask for many things, but one of the things I insisted on, this was a non-negotiable item. I must have Juliet Littman <laughs> on this podcast on a recurring segment. That's so now, nice, look, House. You're my favorite. Yeah, look, <laughs> we uh, food news is a venerated and venerable brand. You and Jacoby. Thank you. So yeah. I, did did you clear it with him? 
Um, I did. I saw him over the weekend. We were just chatting, catching up, and I dropped the bombshell. I was like, Food News is coming back. Uh, we're going to reference you. Not even going to pretend that you weren't originally part of this. And it was a little emotional. It was it was something we both really liked. It had legs, and, you know, it was, it was short-lived, but I like to think much beloved, which is one of the reasons I'm happy we're bringing it back right now, because it's... I know it's a concept that that can do well. So I, I, I want it to be out in the world. That's the main thing. And Jacoby gave it our bless, his blessing, which is the other important oh, that's, thing. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's he's on a more serious things. I, I mean, saw on the on, on the Twitters last night. He's giving like NBA commentary and whatnot. He was on Sports Center yesterday. I walked in to buy breakfast here at work, and there's like a TV on, and he was just on TV talking about Paul George. I was like, well, you don't need food news. You've got Paul George. That's right. Uh, the Obi Wan Jacoby, bigger oh. and better things. <laughs> but we're thinking of renaming this segment to be. Uh, Something else, maybe more like this week in food or something. We're workshopping it. it. Yeah, let's okay. let's let's put it on our brand, House okay. of Carbs brand. We'll yeah, this week in food. Well, yeah, we'll start there. Maybe it'll change. Who knows? But I'm really excited. I love I love a good food story. I'm excited to talk about it with you. Well, let's talk about some. Hit me. Okay, so this one is L.A. to begin with, but it's it's really national. There is. Uh, a market here in LA called Grand Central Market, which has been around for like a hundred years, used to have all of these stalls that were um, selling like Mexican food and Chinese food, and it was really cool. It was like uh, it was very like authentic. It's a little bit less authentic because it's gotten bougie, but it's revived like the sort of like food court scene in downtown LA, and therefore there's a second food court opening next door. However, it's being called a food hall. In fact, let me just read you the the headline. What? The headline on this Eater story is, new downtown food hall will land literally next door to Grand Central Market. And a food hall is the new term for basically like a collection of restaurants who have takeout service in one place. And to me, that's a food court. And I don't know why it needs to be called anything else. It really bothers me. I'm I'm, I'm offended. It feels it's very disrespectful, I think. Like a, you know what a hall a hall is a place for exhibits. Yeah. It's a place it's a place for concerts perhaps. Dancing. The 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 best I can do with with a hall is maybe a banquet hall. But sure. that's not that's not at all what these these folks are going for. They they want they want to give uh you know the the people, the hungry people a wide variety of tastes and flavors and opportunities to sample all kinds of wonderful and diverse cuisine. Hall does not capture that. I'm not going to the food hall to go look at food exhibits. No, never. I want to eat. <laughs> never. And also, I just don't know why it needs to be dressed up. Like, a, a great food court is something very exciting to me. So why do we need to change the name? Like, I just don't get it. There is a really good food court in downtown already, and it has, like, a fancy name. It's not food hall. It's more like it's like something having to do with the address. And let's just call a food court a food court. It's a great thing. I don't know why we need to mess with it. It's it's equally okay to me to call those places markets yeah. because they're you know they're they're selling goods as well as the food and most most of the installations so that's fine too. But you're right, food court is perfectly understandable. Everybody knows what it's about. They know what to get at the food court. It's you can get a lot of things at the food court. Yeah, absolutely. Also, we're, I feel like it's trying to, it's trying to like distance itself from like a food court that has like Sparrow and like in. Chinese food. What's the Chinese food chain that that? Oh, um, Panda. What's Panda it? Express. Panda Express. Thank you. What's wrong with those? I'd be happy to be associated with both of those. I don't know. I'm really you against and this me movement. Both. I'm really against you, it. Yeah. Well, you and I. Let's start it. Okay. Down with the food hall. Down with the food hall. I agree. 
So what's next? What else do we got? Okay, big news. Amazon is making waves in the uh, food space. You may have heard they bought Whole Foods for like billions of dollars. I think it was right. thir- $13 billion. Well, they're not done. They're not done taking over. Last week, they announced that they are teaming up with Olive Garden to deliver Olive Garden to your home. So you don't even have to go to the restaurant to get it. Hmm. I just want to say, A, before getting into the mechanics of it, what's the main reason people go to Olive Garden? The breadsticks. Breadsticks and the never-ending possible, right? Like the two things that are unli- yes. unlimited. So yes. if, it, if it's being brought to you, it's not going to be unlimited. So what's the point of that? But This is a great point. <laughs> thank you. The reason why Amazon can offer this service and they were also able to buy Whole Foods and like have it be a good idea is because they already have like this ridiculous network of distribution centers and they already have the infrastructure to like to get things from point A to point B. That's what they excel in. Like they also have a good website for buying stuff. But the reason it's so good is because they can get you your socks or your toilet paper or your books or literally anything in like 48 hours or less if you're willing to pay for it. So the point for um, Olive Garden is they can, they can harness that infrastructure to their own benefit. But I don't think Olive Garden will deliver well i mean first of all i'm from new york city where they really excel at takeout and delivery like there's outstanding just, yeah it's one of the and italian food yes one of the biggest strengths of the city but everywhere else like it really just seems to be a problem the food doesn't travel well in la it's like a fool's errand there's almost no good takeout delivery never worth it, it takes too long so they, just don't, they don't know what they're doing and so i'm not convinced that this is really even going to stay true to the product should you like olive garden to begin with so part of what I'm confused by is why did they have to announce a partnership? Like, can't you just, there's already Amazon delivery. Right. So Amazon can deliver Olive Garden if you want Olive Garden. What do you, what are we, what are the, we, the eating public getting out of this relationship? Me- and especially if it's not uh, endless breadsticks and bottomless salad <laughs> or whatever, or bottomless pasta. It would be a lot better if they figured out a way to get you the endlessness like in your home. Then it would be like, yeah, cool innovation from two companies I know of already. Right. Now, now, now it makes sense to me. Right now, I'm not sure. Now, I will say in terms of uh, the quandary and in the, in the, in the, in the quality of, of the travel of the food, part of the homogenization of the Olive Garden Italian, I bet it travels well. I bet the lasagna, you know, can they can put it in a container and it'll taste just like the lasagna at, at the Olive Garden. <laughs> That's a good point. They, pro- they probably figured that stuff out. I don't know. I just think... local Italian food does deliver well like that's kind of if I am going to do it in LA I get pasta because that's something that can sit like tomato sauce tastes better the longer you leave it out or whatever it's so true yeah you gotta let it stew for a long time oh yes (laughs) well speaking of stewing for a long time uh I've seen um the headlines there is this this uh innovation that Sonic is introducing Yes. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Let's let's talk about that. Thank you for bringing it up. The newest innovation at Sonic is a burger that's supposedly more climate friendly because it is made with a combination of beef and mushrooms. To quote this Fast Company article, the burger is made with beef, 25 to 30% mushrooms and seasonings and served on a brioche bun with mayo, onions, lettuce, tomatoes, pickles, and melted American cheese. Another option comes with bacon, mayo, and cheese as well. Well, here's my question. Is it called a yuck burger? <laughs> because it sounds yucky to me. The problem um, is with, with mushrooms, a lot of people hate mushrooms. Right. I also think 25 to 30% mushrooms, but no specification of like how much beef. 
I thought that was really weird. Like, are we supposed to assume it's another 65 to 70? Or is there some other stuff in there that they don't want to admit? And they're just kind of going, they blanket like beef, 30% mushrooms and everything else. Because that's just, that's sketchy. The other thing about it that concerns me is when I go to Sonic, the last thing I have in my mind is anything healthy, anything <laughs> right. natural, anything organic, anything that looks like, uh, you know, came out of the ground. Not interested in that if I'm going to Sonic. No. I, it, need, it needs to come out of a fryer or an icy machine. That's what I want out of Sonic. Sonic sells mozzarella sticks, which is just not widely enough sold. Like, every fast food place should have mozzarella sticks. But anyway, if you're at Sonic, like, clearly you're getting that over this bullshit burger. Who wants mushrooms ground up into their burger? That's gross. Ah, no, thank you. No. Out on the Out on the yuck mushroom burger. We're out. Goodbye. No, thank you, Sonic. <laughs> All right. I want, can I talk to you about one last thing before I go? Please do. Okay. I know this is a little dated at this point, but I've just been, I, I knew you were the only person who could really get into this with me because I tried my other colleagues and they are like tepid at best. The day after Markel Fultz was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers, he had a uh, article, an editorial in the Players Tribune. It was like kind of a tribute to Joel Embiid, but moreover, it was really a tribute to Chick-fil-A. And like he was saying, he was excited <laughs> to play in Philly because at his workout, they had all of his... Um, Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches and there's seven Chick-fil-A's in Philly and zero in Boston and basically like it's just kind of something he was basing his excitement about his future on how on his accessibility to Chick-fil-A and I just think that's a little alarming for the number one draft pick no I I totally get where he's coming from (laughs) I I I very much like that aspect of the story it was kind of a gating item for him it was like he he made the point of saying when he you know, when Boston was had the number one pick, he, he had done the research. No Chick-fil-A's in Boston. <laughs> but then, you know, this Philly thing popped up. He heard from his agent. He sent a note, you know, Chick-fil-A question mark. Didn't get an answer fast enough. So he Googled it himself, found out that there were six or seven and immediately, uh, you know, was was. Uh, not just comforted, but enthusiastic about the possibility of Philly. And then it's the little things that, that these teams do. They knew this about Markel, and I love this in the story. He arrives at the practice facility, and there it is, a whole spread of Chick-fil-A breakfast sandwiches. Philly doing work. I mean, talk about the process. They really, the process is just delivering in every which way, shape, and form. Am I right, Julia? I guess so. I was just sort of shocked that this didn't get more attention. Like, okay, this guy really loves Chick-fil-A, but maybe that's just normal for 19-year-olds. Like, that's what they make their life decisions around. I don't know. Well, but, uh, 19-year-olds and middle-aged men who may be closer to 50 than the age 40. <laughs> that's that's a, that's the, the range of demo, perhaps. Okay, fair enough. I'm wrong. Yeah. I just it's just good to know that now one of the like, you know, key rookies is is a fast food enthusiast, specifically Chick-fil-A. I I do like knowing these things even if I question whether you should make your biggest life decisions based around them. <laughs> well, uh is there anything that's more important than what you're going to eat? No, great point. Okay. I mean, you know, the uh, House of Carbs is kind of a, an important element of, of what we're all about here. Yeah. Thanks for having me, House. It's been a delight to be on the inaugural episode. Awesome. Thank you, Juliet. Loved having you. Can't wait to have you on another 550 times. All right. One of the things we are occasionally going to be doing here on House of Carbs, my friends, is sitting down with Ringer authors who may have taken on something interesting in the food world. You may have seen 
earlier this year, there was a whole week devoted to ins and outs in the food world uh, on the ringer.com. Last year, our, our good friend Danny Chow, who is uh, by trade more of a, an NBA writer, but also uh, a known food enthusiast, um, he'd done a couple pieces for Grantland, RIP Grantland, about, uh, I know he, he wrote one about his competitive eating interests. Uh, and speaking of competitive eating, Danny is indeed the reigning house eats champion of, of the world. They had Danny and I sat down and tried to eat um, some tacos. Well, we did eat some tacos. We ate quite a, quite a number of tacos, but I could not eat as many as Danny. Danny's real job is associate editor at The Ringer, NBA writer, and I'm very excited to have him on to talk about a story he wrote last year called The Burning Desire for Hot Chicken. Danny Chow, welcome to House of Carbs. You know what? It's it's a pleasure house. I, I've been waiting for this moment my entire life. I find that hard to believe. But look, <laughs> you wrote uh, a story that deserves um, a little bit of a deep dive. Uh, and I, I know you won't brag, so I'll brag a little bit. It made Longform's best of 2016 uh, stories of the year, the, the food category. So the burning desire for hot chicken. Where did the inspiration for hot chicken come from? So a couple of years ago, I was watching this show called Mind of a Chef, which is produced by Anthony Bourdain. And in one episode, uh, a very popular chef, H. Sean Brock, uh, out of Nashville and Charleston, uh, went to a place called Prince's Hot Chicken to eat hot chicken. And in, in the episode, there were a bunch of weird like hallucinogenic effects that were going on. And, and it really amplified the, I, I don't know, the pain that it looked like he was going through. And me being this complete heat freak, I was just like, I need to have this before I die. And I, I guess before we get into it, I should probably explain what hot chicken is and, and where it came from. So hot chicken is essentially just a piece of fried chicken that is covered in a spice mixture of cayenne pepper. And if you want to be more daring, some places use much more spicy uh, peppers like you know, ghost peppers or Carolina reapers. And it's, it's held together with an oil mixture. And because the oil mixture comes straight from the fryer, it, it doesn't get soggy. It, it actually stays crisp and stays crisp for a really long time. Um, and the really funny thing about hot chicken is that it has an incredible origin story. Uh, so the story goes sometime in the 30s around the Great Depression era in East Nashville, which was a predominantly uh, black neighborhood in Nashville, there was a man named Thornton Prince. He was tall, dark, handsome, and he was known in the neighborhood as, you know, a, a womanizer. And his girlfriend at the time was was very much sick of his shit. She wanted to teach him a lesson one, one night when he came home. So in the morning when he woke up, she decided to make him uh, his favorite dish, which was fried chicken. But she was like, I'm going to make this guy pay. So she basically took all of her cayenne pepper from her pantry, just caked it onto the, onto the fried chicken, served it to him and was like, here you go, honey. And he loved it. He absolutely loved it. He asked her to make it for his friends, for the neighborhood. And that's kind of how it started. Yeah, we got Prince's Hot Chicken Shack. What was the name? What's the proper name for it? Yeah, I, I believe it's Prince Prince's Hot Chicken Shack. Before it was called Prince's Hot Chicken and Barbecue Shack, but I, I think they changed it once 
hot chicken became more of the the staple dish there. I'm going to take a very quick aside. Anytime you call a place a shack, I feel like I'm going to like it. It's it's fantastic. If there's something about, you know, calling something a shack that just takes the food. It, it might only be 50-50 food, but it takes it right up to like 75-25 in terms of how much I'm going to like the experience. I, now, I think speaking of liking the experience, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it has to do with, you know, uh, the intimacy. When you think of a shack, you don't think of a very big place. It's a place that, you know, you are going to be there with the people making the food and you are going to be enjoying it right in front of them pretty much. Yeah, and you're, you're probably going to come out smelling like the food. You're probably going to be wearing the food. Those are all, that's a, those are all really desirable um, qualities in, in a meal. If, you're, if you've got the time and the energy to get into it, go into the shack and get that shack experience. Now, look, speaking of, of uh, intimate experiences, you have um, demonstrated, uh, and I think primarily on your Instagram, a pretty um, big appetite for what I'm going to call uh, challenge food in yeah. the sense that you are a guy that is not afraid to try a whole variety of things, exotic things, things that pe people may, may not think about putting in their mouths. And you're also a guy, you mentioned it earlier, that loves the heat. So uh, give us a little bit of background in terms of your experience with challenge foods before we dive in here. And the reason I want to do that is because I want to get a feel for how this hot chicken, and I know that one place you had the hot fish. I yep. want to sort of get it on the chow scale. You know, how, how did this, how, how did the Nashville experience sort of rate on your overall sort of the, the chow challenge food scale? So my family is just a bunch of heat seekers. Um, when I was four, I, I was already kind of eating soy sauce with little bits of Thai chili in it just because my dad was just like, look, I'm eating this with every meal. I'm not going to have my son like not eat it with me. Uh, it was just a, a family thing. And so I kind of developed a tolerance for it and developed a, a real palate for it. Um, when I was in high school, I, I will remember this distinctly, and it's actually a part of my piece. Uh, me and a group of friends went to a, a Sichuan restaurant, which is a, a Chinese restaurant that serves a very specific uh, style of Chinese food from the Sichuan province, which um, very much focuses on very spicy, very, very warming foods. And they serve us this huge bubbling pot of boiled meats and vegetables. And on top of it is this glorious red slick of oil that you could just tell is just going to like melt your face off. And we all decided to kind of lean into the pot and take a big whiff. And every single person started coughing uncontrollably with like snot running down their nose and like tears running down their eyes. And I was just like, this is the place for me. <laughs> so we've established your, your, your bona fides, the bona fides uh, in terms of, of the heat. Tell us a little bit about the heat that you found down in Nashville. So the first place that I went to was Prince's because I, I needed to have the original. I needed to have the, you know, the the standard bearer of hot chicken. Um, and they have, I believe, four different spice levels. They have mild, medium, hot, X-hot. No, they have a fifth. I got the fifth, which is triple X-hot. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I got so I got the triple X-hot. Uh, the woman behind the counter was just like, boy, I want to see you eat this. And I was just like, yeah, sure. I, I would love to have you watch me eat this. She offered me... Uh, a little ranch container. I politely declined. Um, I sat down next to 
a couple from Chicago who were visiting to try hot chicken as well. They they both got medium. They were watching me eat this XXX hot and nothing happened. It was not that hot for me. I, I ate it no problem. The fried chicken was glorious. One of the best pieces of fried chicken I've ever had in my life. But in terms of heat, I didn't really feel it until about like five hours later. Does it sort of um, soothe itself or do you have to do anything to help soothe it? Um, to be honest, like I've, I have so much experience eating chili peppers of all varieties that I, I kind of just deal with the pain. Yeah, I'm asking because yeah. there, you had two other places to go to. I did. And I want to hear a little, like, in terms of the schedule, did you go the very next day to the next venue? Yeah, I, I mean, I was only in Nashville for three days, so I, I planned it okay, out. Okay, well, there I, you go. I did Yeah. I did uh, Prince's at night uh, on the first night, and then I did Bolton's, which was actually started by a former cook at Prince's. Um, and that place I actually thought was spicier than, than Prince's. And it, it kind of had a mm. different vibe. That was the place that I had the the hot fish. Um, yep. Yeah, and it, it was it was awesome. It, it was a completely different vibe. Um, it, it almost felt like it, it was a lot smaller, more of a shack type feel actually. And you know, there there were people walking in, regulars talking to uh, the staff and and kind of catching up with their day. It really felt like I was in someone's you know living room eating this amazing, amazing fried fried fish and fried chicken. Mm. Yeah. And, and and how about your reaction to that one? How'd that go? Um, I, I guess I'd, I'd kind of acclimated uh, my body to the whole hot chicken experience. So I, I actually don't remember it being quite as bad as Prince's um, later on, but I was also drunk. So that oh, was well, probably one way to it. do it. Oh, absolutely. The yeah. hot chicken is absolutely a drunk food. You should not be eating it too early or too, um, you know, sober. <laughs> and what about the, what, does it matter what alcohol you've been drinking? Let's see. I, I mean, it was mostly, it was mostly beer. Um, yeah, that's what, that's yeah. what comes to mind. I would, th- I would imagine drinking beer beforehand, drinking beer during, drinking beer after. Yeah. It's, it's a great, great combination. Okay. So let's, let's jump to the third place. You had the fish at Bolton's and a little chicken. What was the third place? So the third place was Hattie B's, which is actually a much newer establishment. Bolton's and Prince's are kind of the OG, uh, on the hot chicken frontier. Hattie B's was kind of like a, a newer, kind of more hip, uh, tourist friendly place, kind of in the heart of of Nashville, both Bolton's and, and Prince's, you kind of have to go to the outskirts to East Nashville to get to. So there automatically, I saw a much longer line uh, of people who looked like tourists. And I have to be honest, I, I wasn't expecting it to be on the level of uh, Bolton's or Prince's, at least in the spice scale, just because I was thinking, oh, you know, they're probably going to dilute it for tourists. I order it, I order the spiciest version because that's what I did on each of my trips. And they told me, oh, yeah, so this is actually gonna have ghost peppers. And I'm thinking, oh oh my God, this is like my final leg of my mission. I'm getting on a plane four hours later. This is gonna destroy me. And it did, it it really did. I, I (laughs) I walked out. And it did. I walked out and my face was numb, my arms were numb, my legs were numb. And I was just walking. I remember distinctly there were being this breeze and I just felt like a, a leaf that had fallen off a tree. It was, it was an incredible, like weird hallucinogenic experience um, that I did not get at the other two places. 
So let me ask ask the 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 last question on this on this front. Had you ever had that experience before with eating hot foods? Yes, and th- honestly, it came from that Carolina Reaper that I popped in my mouth. Oh, uh, last so that year. that pepper took you on the whole the whole hot tour. So yeah, yeah. Basically, if you hit a certain level of Scoville um, units on a pepper, it's gonna drive you to start feeling things that you wouldn't expect your body to be feeling from eating, you know, a natural food and not like a (laughs) recreational drug, you know? Hey, thank you so much for jumping on uh, House of Carbs, the very first one episode ever. We're going to have you many times uh, over the course of this podcast, and I'm looking forward to whatever you have coming next in terms of uh, food writing. Maybe you have anything in the works right now? I I do. So I'm actually going to be traveling to another city in the south uh but uh i guess i'll leave it out there yeah that's that's perfect let's just tease it a little bit and when's the story coming out this summer uh, later it should be coming out in early august great so look uh mid-august you and i'll be having another conversation um about some fantastic food experience you've had down in the south well hopefully it's fantastic and uh <laughs> look forward to it absolutely thanks danny so there we go, my friends. The first episode of House of Carbs. Down the chute. Thank you so much for the listen. Make sure to give us a review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We will be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's stay hungry out there. Hungry.